Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Revelation 15. Here, eight short verses. This one could only take us two weeks. All right. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. You who shall not, or who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, and having their chests <clears throat> girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Wow. Wonderful passage of Scripture. We're, we're starting here now with the bowl judgments. We've, we've had seven seals, and then we had seven trumpets, and now with the seventh trumpet, we're going to have seven bowls. And the, the description of these bowls is that they are full of wrath. <clears throat> so... We're going to get a chance to look at those just for a moment, but let's talk about the seven angels with the, the last plagues and how they're revealed. Back in verse 1, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Well, oh, stop just a minute. As, as I read that one, I read it again and again. I looked at this Greek word for uh, marvelous, and it, it really doesn't have, uh, it means the inexplicable. The one that doesn't have a real good description, the one you, you, can't, you can't say, it's marvelous. And I thought about that. We, we're in chapter 15. What has this guy been doing all along? He has been where you and I only can, can only envision but through what he said. He's in a place to see something no humans get to see. And he's been seeing how many marvelous things do you think he's seen? How many great things do you think he's seen? He's used this word, uh, which is the word megalos, uh, great. He's used this several times here to talk about something being great. That's great is a relative term, isn't it? That's great in comparison to you. That's great in comparison to maybe something you saw before. But this thing was great, and it's marvelous. So I, I, I thought there for a moment, boy, John, don't you hope there's a video maybe some DVD or something that you can plug in there and see what he saw. Because this is a marvelous thing to see. And as he sees it, he said, this is a great and marvelous sign. Then he says that what he saw was seven angels. Again, how many angels do you suppose he's seen at this point? 
Man, but you, as you read through here, there are hosts of angels that he's seeing. And there are times when this angel went here and this angel went here, and yet here's another great angel that's standing over the sea and over the, the land. And here's a, a great angel that's got a, a, a scroll in his hand. There's all kinds of angels, and yet something very special about these angels that he's seeing. You know, we don't... Um, because we're largely American, maybe that's just me. I, I don't. I don't usually think a lot about pomp. I, I don't. I don't think a lot about luxurious type things. So sometimes when I read passages like this, it's hard for me to get a mental image up. I have to. I have to try to think what what kind of mental image will I, can I get here? I don't have a reference point for what all this means. Well, I'm remembering who John is too. Remember where this old boy came from. He was a fisherman in Galilee. That's not high circles, kids. And he would have seen some pretty palatial places. The Romans liked Galilee too. It's a nice vacation area. It's gotten, and they built some nice palaces up there. And I got to say, some of the synagogues, the people gave lots of money to get those things built. And some of them, from what they're uncovering right now in that very Galilee area, were made of clay tiles, kind of similar to the ones that Babylon had that, that lined that wall. They were pretty, polished highly. So these things were nice-looking places. And, and there's even a, a place that they scooped out in the wall there that they made a seat. And this seat was elaborate. And that seat was called the Seat of Moses, and whenever the rabbi sat down in that seat, the seat of Moses, when he spoke, he was speaking as if Moses had just told him the interpretation of a particular passage. Uh, that's you'll, you'll come across maybe Matthew 17, somewhere in there, where Jesus says, and they, when they sit in the seat of Moses, listen to them. That's what it's referring to. A little indention in the wall there, in the wall of the synagogue, that was made for the rabbi to sit when he's about to tell you what Moses told him was this um, powerful. What it amounted to is what he had studied and found out. Now, this is <laughs> by looking at all the passages together, this is the interpretation of that passage. All right. So, uh, anyway, he's looking at this, he's now seeing these beautiful angels. But he's noticing something about them. And this is something I started noticing as well. Because I just assumed these were the angels that have its seven bowls. No, 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 they did not have the bowls. The living beings are going to have the bowls and give them the bowls. What they have is plagues. And when I thought about that, I thought, oh, how do you carry a plague? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it means they were infested with a plague. They were carrying a plague. They had a plague with them. And they are coming out of the temple area. Okay, And let's, let's just take a look just for a minute. Let's remind ourselves once again, what goes on in the temple? That's where God's throne is. That's where God sits. That's where the divine council sits around him. That's the place where all the decisions for the whole cosmos are made. This is where things are decided, up or down. This is where things are decided in their details. You remember, God called on that um, 
uh, the spirits when they wanted to figure out how he was going to kill Ahab. Not whether he was going to kill Ahab, but how he was going to kill Ahab. He asked all those spirits in his throne room there, and that's what you're looking at right here. He's asking them, how shall I do it? And that one spirit says, I'll be a lying uh, uh, spirit in the mouth of his prophets. They'll lie to him, and then Ahab will go out to battle, and it'll kill him. Well, that's what this council is about. This, this is the council where the watchers are. So go with me inside, the, inside this temple area. And now there are seven angels that are sitting there. We'll talk about their clothes in just a few minutes. But they are standing right there. And it's such a sight that John's got to say, wow, this was marvelous. This was great. Now, as, he, as they're standing there, they've got these plague things going. I, I don't know what that looks like, but they've got those plagues. And this is where all the decisions are made. So the council and God Almighty have decided plagues have something to do with the last days. So when you're going to see plagues coming out, it is about the last days. All right. So let's, let's look a little further here. They have the seven last plagues in which the wrath of God is completed letter B, for this judgment time. Let's, let's take a look at this, for it says in verse 1 again, for I saw another sign in heaven, and great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Complete. I remember seeing this word, one of the place, and we'll come to that in just a moment. Complete means it's full. It's got everything that is required of it. It's finished. Matter of fact, it's a word just like that that's used about us walking in the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, we have been completed by the Spirit of God. When you start moving in the direction of doing God's will, God meets you with His Spirit and completes your action. So that what you do now is a joint, joint work between you and the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is going to be using you to do a great work. That same word about being filled with the Spirit was used of Samson. When Samson was facing a battle, a big battle, it says that the Spirit of God filled him, completed him, and man, he got swinging that jawbone around. It wasn't long till all the enemy was dead. Each time, as a matter of fact, when you see some act of Samson, it was him being filled with the Spirit. It, it was that same filling that was what happened to the guys who built the tabernacle, the model of the one they're looking at here. The wrath of God. Let's take a look at it just for a moment. The wrath of God. God's wrath first comes in a release response to holding back and striving with people. Uh, again, this is Romans 1. So I want you to turn with me just for, to Romans 1 just for a moment. And let's, let's get an idea of how the wrath of God works. And may I say, if you grasp what this is saying, and I'm, I'm confident every one of you do, you may have heard it before, I, I'm, uh, but the meaning of this is we are living in the wrath of God. You say, whoa, I thought it's got plagues and all that. No, that's the end. That's the completed form of the wrath of God. Okay? The form we're living in right now is the not holding back form. Okay? So God has, and I usually look at that one as more passive. 
because God is letting people do what they want to do. So let's look here, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. What's revealed? The wrath of God, right? So in other words, if it's revealed, we ought to be able to see it. Well, let's see what he means by it. It says, uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, so they already know it, for God has shown it to them. God has taken credit for having shown people himself. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're out of excuse. So he's calling people without excuse. You can see creation. That creation, that natural revelation is enough to show you who I am. It may not show you details about it, but it shows you who I am. Because although, verse 21 says, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Stop just a minute. I want you to go back and look with something here. Because although they knew God, did people know God? Yes. Because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They didn't recognize him as God. They're not going to give him the credit that he has coming to him, that they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. They were not appreciative of the things that God was giving to them, but became futile in their thoughts. So as they started imagining strange ideas about how they got what they got, strange ideas about who God was, strange ideas about what they needed, as soon as they started developing that, it goes on to say, They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when you cut out the knowledge of God in your life, when you stop being thankful, when you stop glorifying Him as God, your understanding is going to get weaker. That's the wrath of God. When you are unable now to see what God is doing, when you're unable to grasp what God is doing, that's the wrath of God at work. You're getting narrower and narrower with your vision. You're seeing less and less. You're getting more and more tunnel vision, and you're having no peripheral vision at all. You're not able to see and understand what things are going on around you. That's what happens when you stop being thankful, and you stop glorifying God, and you stop thinking of God for who He is. Now watch what goes on further, because that's what they did, professing to be wise. Now they, they think they've got great philosophical thoughts. They've got great explanations for the universe and creation and all those things. Professing themselves to be wise, they became instead fools. The fool has said in his heart, no God. That's how they're becoming fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, here's the wrath of God revealed. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now, I'll stop right here. I know you've seen this before, but we're going to see it again. Maybe some of you have not. Here's what the deal is. God is gracious in that he resists evil in the world. He keeps pushing back on it. But when people stop glorifying him as God, when they stop being thankful, when they stop thinking godly kind of thoughts, when they stop doing that, God steps back. And he lets them take a step closer into the wickedness that they want. That wickedness is what's going to destroy them. 
he steps back, and the hope is that as they see themselves hurting themselves with this stuff, they'll stop. They'll say, this ugly stuff we're doing ourselves needs to stop. we got to stop this because we're killing ourselves. And we'll repent and go back to where God can resist us again. Now we recognize God. We're grateful to God. We're, we're glorifying God. That's his. But if we don't, if we don't, listen to how he, how he says it. <clears throat> Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Kids, that's immorality. And with that immorality comes pornography, comes a variety of other things like that. It, they're traveling companions. So that's the first step in a breaking culture. When you see that immorality, you see that pornography, that's the first step in that breaking culture. Then watch what happens. <clears throat> Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So now they are now worshiping their own bodies. They're worshiping what makes a beautiful body, what makes a sexy body, what makes an attractive body. That's what they're worshiping instead. That's what they're paying attention to instead. Instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping that which God created. And he goes on further, it says, since they were doing that, now they're going to even make uh, uh, idols of that thing. Verse 26 says, when they go that route, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So the wrath of God says, back over here, when you are not acknowledging who I am, when you're not paying attention to who I am, when you are not now praying, giving thanks for what I am, I won't resist you and I'll, I'll let you have this grossness you do between yourselves. Maybe you wake up and as you wake up, you'll repent of that and go back to the place where I can now speak with you again. When you do not, then he, go, he, lets, he steps back again and lets you do what you want to do. Kids, this is where homosexuality is. That is a step in the decline the wrath of God is bringing. Everybody with me? This is a horrible stage to be in. If we do not repent of this kind of behavior, this homosexual behavior, which is against the Creator, quit, quit, quit trying to find the special little verses that say, according to the law, according to the law, stop it. If you need a law, go back to Genesis 1.26. What are we supposed to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Kids, you can't do that with the other. That's a violation. Plain and simple. Okay? When we don't do that, when homosexuality goes on as a way of life, he takes another step back and turns you over to yourself. Now, you are fully doing, with no resistance from God, this ugly, horrible stuff among yourselves. As a matter of fact, look how he describes what goes on. 
verse 28. And as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. And here's the description of it. All unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know what God says, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that not sound like today? That's a list of things that go on right now. Kids, we have to admit we are in the wrath of God. You, you, you may be saying, oh, boy, we're, we're, we're out here waiting to see whether the plagues are going to fall on us. You don't have to have plagues, kid. He's already got us there. Uh, let, let's go back to Genesis just a minute. Go back to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Here, the Lord is speaking to um, Abraham, who's very concerned about the fact he doesn't have kids. And, and God promised him kids, and it's just not coming through. Things are not happening like it was supposed to happen. So Genesis 15. Let's, uh, let's pick up a verse 12. We're going to make our way down to one of the passages in just a minute. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, that's, that's God who says to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Who's he talking about? That's obviously Israel, right? When Israel goes down into Egypt and he stays in Egypt down there. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. So God says, I'm going to leave them there 400 years. Then I'm going to judge the nation that enslaved them. Then I'm bringing them out with great possessions back to this land because this is the land that's yours. This is the land they're going to live on. Uh, verse 15, it says, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Same word. It's not complete. Remember, we were talking about the wrath of God is complete over here. Now we're talking about the iniquity, the sin, the, the trouble with these uh, Amorites is that it, their iniquity has not quite filled up. So what we're su- supposed to get here, I don't, I don't see what I'm, I'll just use this water bottle. What we're supposed to see here is that God has a cup. And, and as people sin that goes into this cup, that's known as the cup of iniquity. And the Amorites were only about here in the day of Abraham. But they were in the progression I just showed you back here. They were not acknowledging God, that God had given them up. They're doing now immoral things with one another. Homosexuality has become part of their life. And now they've been turned over to doing all kinds of wickedness. They hadn't made it quite that far yet. If you remember, homosexuality was a part of that promised land as it was shown up in Sodom and Gomorrah. So now 
They're, they're somewhere in this category as Abraham's talking to him. And now he's telling Abraham, in 400 years, the cup of iniquity of the Amorites will be filled up. All right, now when that cup of iniquity is filled up, okay, y'all, lids on. <laughs> I thought this is going to be a great illustration. <laughs> All right, when that cup of iniquity is filled up, God turns it over. Now it's not called a cup of iniquity. It's called the cup of wrath. This is the destruction of the people who've been in this progression and have come to the end of it. Folks, I I, I don't want to tell you everything that this group of people did, but I will tell you one thing. When they wanted to build a house or when they wanted to build a new room onto the house that they had, they went ahead and had relations with the goal in mind of having a child. That child was to be the house child. And what they would do with that child when the child was born and they had now finished their room, their addition, or or, or, I shouldn't say that, just before they finished their room or addition, they took the child and put him alive in the wall and covered it up. That was their offering to Baal to take care of this house. They had offered him a living child. They could hear the child inside those walls starving to death, scared to death, They could hear that going on. That's one of the things this people did. How sick is that, my friends? Now, let me ask you. If you let a sick people like that go on, what has to be the ultimate end to that people? Friends, it's got to be self-destruction. If that's what they do in this generation, What will the next generation do? What will the next generation do? If you grasp what we just talked about, you'll understand why at the end of those 400 years, when God marched Joshua right up to that wall, he said to them, leave nothing alive. Now you say, well, he's he's just bloodthirsty. That's all it was. He's not leaving alive real, innocent, great people. They are murderous, killing people. They have sickened themselves with their own cancer. They will not survive. So he's sending Joshua in as an act of mercy. Destroy them before they destroy anyone else. That's what he did at the flood, kids. And when God says in this word that these angels have the completed wrath of God. Know this. God has been working with this people for how many centuries? And we know for certain for at least the bigger bigger part of seven years, giving them opportunity after opportunity to turn from their ways, to turn from their wickedness. They are a sick people, brothers and sisters. They are ready to destroy everything. They've lost all hope. They've lost all sanity. It is going to be an act of mercy 
to destroy that people. You follow where we're coming from? That's God's completed wrath because they will have completed all the iniquity they possibly could. You couldn't do more iniquity. So when these angels are getting ready to pour out these bowls, that's what it's about. Doesn't it just make you sick? <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> Let's pick up on um, number two in your, your outline there to make sure you get. Uh, number one in your letter B outline was holding back, holding. Uh, number two, God's wrath being filled up or completed is related to the response of God's long-suffering ending due to iniquities being filled up or completed. When all those iniquities are filled up and completed, that's now going to become the cup of God's wrath. These are chief. These angels that you're looking at here are chief among the divine council. That's why they have the same kind of clothes. Remember how I read to you early during uh, the uh, communion time? I read about what Jesus is wearing. He's wearing white, fully white clothes, and he's got a gold band across his chest. That's what they're wearing because they're coming from the temples. Jesus is the great high priest, and these are the priests coming from this. These are the royal um, uh, leaders of the divine council, and they're bringing out now the, the decree of the de- divine council of what's supposed to happen next. Then the next thing you see is in verse 2, the martyrs of the great tribulation are revealed. Here's what it says. Then I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying. We're not getting into the song just yet. Let's talk about that first. Look back at Revelation 4. <coughs> Revelation 4. And verse 6. Well, let's pick up on verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. One sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, and in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Then it said, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. That's the sea of glass. So here's what we can say about where this is taking place. This is right at the throne of God. What you're seeing here are people who have been saved through the tribulation, saved as though by fire. They have been martyred. That's why they are coming by fire this way. And they are standing on the sea of glass. So you're seeing they're, they've been tried by fire, they're standing on the sea of glass, and that sea of glass is right before the throne of God. Notice with me too, uh, go, go to uh, chapter 7 and verses 9 to 17. Chapter 7 of Revelation 9 to 17, this is what it says. 
After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude of which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice. You see the clothes they're wearing? That's the same clothes these guys are wearing. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where'd they come from? And I said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, nor uh, hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. (coughs) The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. I'd like to say, well, that's, that's the end of it. It's not. The 144,000 are also in this group you're looking at right here. Kids, this is a grand worship celebration. The last things are about to take place here. It's almost over. That which has been waited for since all the way back here with Enoch. That which has been waited for all the way back here with Abel. That which has been waited for by all the prophets, by Abraham, by all these who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, of all the generations of all those people, this is their worship service. This is where they're all called in. And kids, if you think it sounds good sometimes when we sing in here, wait to hear that one. That's what John's seeing. No wonder John is saying, wow, I saw a great and marvelous sign. He can't even describe it for us. That's all he can say to us. He doesn't have the words for it, if you can see what I'm saying. Well, let me, let me go on to page two, and we'll finish up quickly here. Here is the song that they sing. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So what we see here, there are the praise of his works and his might. They are the praise of his works and his might. Who can work the kind of things that God does? Who is it can speak and it's now standing? Who is it can say, let there be water and it's water? Who can say, let there be light and there's light coming out of nothing? This is who it is, the great and almighty. And great are your works, O Lord. And then he goes on to say, great are your ways. The just and true are your ways, O King of the Saints. They've got good things to say about what he's doing here. Matter of fact, some of the more some of the other angels later are going to praise him for the way in which he's carrying out his judgments. So there's the praise of his ways and his sovereignty. There's the recognition of his solitariness and incomparable holiness. What does he say for? Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Are there things called gods? Yes, but are they him? No, there is only one of him. There are other things that are called Elohim. There are other things that are called gods. There are other things that are called by all those same kind of spiritual names, but they are not him. 
All other things are his creation. They are his works. That's why they worship him. All those things are his works. So they declare his solitariness. And then lastly, there's a decree of cosmic universal worship for his just judgments. Listen to what he says here in this verse 4, the end of verse 4. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. How many nations? That's all of them, kids. And, and notice, that's not necessarily all nations who believe you. That's all nations. Because even those who have been unbelieving, even those who have hated God, will worship before him. As uh, someone said, atheism is a temporary condition. For everybody is going to come and worship before the living God. All right? Now let's look at the last things. Verse 5. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. So much like, remember when Jesus was, was crucified and the veil tore to letting, letting everyone know the way is made clear to come to God now? Well, now the temple itself is opened up. And all that divine council, all that throne room, all of the, the angels who are worshiping, all of the people who are worshiping there, that's all being seen now. And it goes on to say, and the testimony of heaven was open, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues. So they're walking out. They've got the seven plagues. I don't know how they've got them. It does not describe it for us, but watch what it got, happens to them. Having their chests girded with golden bands, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, those uh, uh, bowls of the wrath of God and where he's getting them from, that all has to do with the cup of iniquities of all the peoples having been filled. That has to do with all the prayers that the saints have been offered as they suffered at the hands of these people. That has to do with all of that. And that's what's happening here. The fulfillment of all the prayers of all the people for all of time. The fulfillment of all the prayers of the people who suffered and died during this time. Remember those people that we saw under the altar that were praying in seal, seal 5? That's them. They're getting their answers to prayer right now. All of that is taking place. This is what we mean by the completed wrath of God. Won't be any more needed than that. So let's get your blanks. The temple of the tabernacle testimony in heaven is open. The holy angels exit the temple clothed in pure bright linen, wearing gold chest bands while holding the seven plagues. Not seen plagues, the seven plagues. Letter C. The living creatures give each of them a bowl of the wrath of the eternal God, and the plagues are added to them. So somehow they're taking their plagues that they've got and the seven bowls now, each one of them having a bowl, and they're going to mix those two together. And kids, what's going to happen as we see next week? They're being poured out at the same time. Plagues and bowls at the same time. Once number one is done, number two goes. Number three goes. Unlike what was happening with the seals. Remember the seals, you can have a seal open. It might be five months that people suffered. You have a seal open. It might be an army that comes along. It takes a while to get something done. It might be a seal open. It takes a little while for an army to march across and get some. Not this time. It's all coming. Bam, 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 bam. This is God Almighty. 
and to show that this isn't just an action of some angels here, look with me here. When the four living creatures give them the bowls of wrath, look at verse 8. The temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This is God confirming what the divine council is doing. This is God making sure nobody else in heaven is doing anything until all these things are finished. Well, brothers and sisters, this is a big, big thing. And rather than see that as some really neat fiction video to be watching, these are real things. This is what is going to happen just a few years from now. This is what will be happening with friends of ours who have become so hard-hearted about their not following Jesus that if they live up to this point, this is what they will be enduring. This is what they will see. And if God had not cut those, cut those days short, nobody would be living on this planet. You and I be have a, a difficult time. I'm, I'm not talking about... Now, let me go back. I just want to do one little assuring thing. Here's our tribulation period. Middle of the tribulation, end of the tribulation. All these descriptions you're seeing here, kids, you're standing here. He's removing you from the judgment. That judgment there is not yours. And I'm more, more, more uh, confirmed on this opinion all the time. There is a pre-tribulational rapture. You are taken out of this thing. Why? Because Noah was. Those eight people are alive in the boat. They're taken out of the judgment. That's the kind of thing, and this is the same kind. Israel, when they came out of Egypt, were spared the plagues and were brought instead to the promised land. That has been the way God does things. Yes, there are people who are going to trust Jesus Christ during that tribulation period, and yes, they are going to be martyred. Can I tell you, he gives them a high, high office. He gives to them great honors because they have, in fact, been martyred for the cause of Christ. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your kindness to us, the things that you show us, the things that you guide us through, the things that you give us. You're awesome, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.